Have you ever wondered why some young people choose to end their lives? Ever wondered who they are and who they left behind? Have you ever wanted to hear their stories? Would you like answers to these questions and many more? Welcome to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. Her mission is to shine light on these young people, create awareness for, and educate the world on youth suicide. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Dr. Lulu and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. Now, here's Dr. Lulu. Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu, the podcast. My name is Dr. Lulu, a.k.a. The Momatrician. I'm a board-certified pediatrician. I know you know that, and I'm a mom, but I bet you didn't know that I'm trying to get my life coaching license. Yay! So as if I I don't have enough on my plate, I'm about to do that. So you're going to hear me saying, hello, my name is Dr. Lulu, a.k.a. The Momatrician and Life Coach. So if you have anything that you need me to help you with, holla at your girl. But this podcast is not about me. It is about you and your stories. And I'm here to share them with the world. So today we have another brand new guest. And today's guest is special, not only because she's a sister doc, but because she's of Indian ancestry. And people of color in my podcast are just so special, right? We don't want to talk about our struggles already. So when they come on my podcast, I grab them and I hold on to them. So today's not going to be any different. Her name is Dr. Maduri Turmandes, and she's going to be sharing from her heart, which is the best place to share. So Dr. Maduri, thank you so much for joining us today and writing on our pages. How are you doing, sis? Thank you for that generous introduction, Dr. Lulu. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me today. I appreciate yeah. you coming on a beautiful Friday morning. With all the stuff that's going on in the world right now, I tell you, we if we've ever needed to talk, it is now to talk about everything and anything. And so we're not going to leave anything on the table today. Sis, where do you want to start? Where do you want to begin? She, I know as much as this, she's an infectious disease doctor with a history of service, EMT, biomedical engineering, I mean, all kinds of good stuff. But where do you want to start, sis? The the floor is yours. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So I know the world is a really crazy place. Um, And I actually wanted to share my personal story. Um, I wanted to just basically tell you that I've been through um, depression myself and at least twice. um, And I've sought out help, but it's just such a it's just not talked about as commonly and it's just not talked about as, um, you know, it's just taboo in my, in like the physician culture, like we just kind of have to man up and like suck it up. So I want to just really put myself out there and say like, Hey, I'm a fellow physician who's pretty successful, I would say, but can still go through mental illness and can still go through, um, challenges. Um, 
that I think we should all talk about. Um, so I basically, my background is I've been through um, biomedical engineering as an undergrad, and then I went to medical school to St. George's in the Caribbean, um, went through residency in internal medicine and then infectious diseases. Um, back to back, didn't really take breaks. I'm sure that sounds great. So obviously burnout was, you know, about to hit no matter what. <laughs> um, so when I started residency is when it all kind of started. Um, I loved it. I love residency. I was like, I finally, I get to be a doctor. I get to treat people and I was doing okay. But winter kind of came about and I started feeling very anxious. Even a little task kind of got me, you know, got me kind of like really riled up. And I was like, this isn't normal for me. I'm a very confident person. I can take on like stress. Um, and then I started just thinking about how everything's kind of pointless and like, what is the point of everything? And I just feel like I'm going to work and coming back and it's kind of the same thing. And I was like, I need help. Like, this is not normal. I, I only talked to one or two people about this and they obviously weren't sure how to help me either. Um, one of my friends was also going through depression. So clearly like we both were not a good match in terms of helping each other. It was good as like, he was a good soundboard, but um and then I just I just didn't know I was like what do I do <laughs> is this normal like I'm a doctor I have a res I have resident in the right direction but why am I feeling this way so I got I went to uh I was like I gotta get help so let me talk to uh you know a psychiatrist I think I need medications and the and the reason that I really like decided that it was time was because I wasn't doing work properly I was like, I couldn't even hold the phone and be okay with it. I was like, I was like nervous to talk to an attending, a colleague, a, a human being. And every single thing in my life was just like anxiety provoking. Um, I, I started self-loathing myself. I started thinking I'm not good enough. I need to do better. And every single day when you tell yourself that you kind of just get sucked up into depression. So I got help um, and I was put on Lexapro and I was like, okay, things might get better. I'm not sure. I was trying to basically adjust and work as a physician on like neurological medications. And it was just really, it was really tough because it was my first year as a physician. So um, like, it was tough for me to adjust like mentally and also focus on work. Um, and then there was one day where I was driving back from work, I was feeling okay. But I was like, you know, like, I think I'd be okay if I just kind of drive off and like, I die right now. Like I was, I had that thought. You've hit on so much. The first thing you've hit on is the fact that this happened during residency. And I don't know if you know my story or not, but the first contact with suicide I ever had was a surgical resident. She was a Nigerian girl. So residency is where we start getting fried. I remember when I was a resident, one day I slept at the wheel, at the light. It's only the grace of God that woke me up. I heard something like sound like a mosquito and I was trying to hit the mosquito and it turned out I woke up, it was you know, people horning and pressing their horn and going, pa, pa, pa. that's what I was hearing. So it started from then, but 
kudos to you for recognizing it. Whether you call it burnout or you call it depression, you recognize it. But more importantly, you sought help. And I think that's kind of where we, we part ways. You sought help to get medications. Whereas knowing now what I know, of course, not then, but knowing what I know now, what you needed was more than medicines. It was the root cause, which is exhaustion and overwhelmness and all of the stress that come with not getting a break. I went to Howard and I was on call every third night for four years. Wow. Every third night. We did one in three calls. That's when one in three calls was still a thing in the early 90s, okay? So I know now that you can take all the medicine you want, but if we don't, if we don't fix the toxic environment where you're not even allowed as a doctor to talk, you're not even allowed to say you need help, you know, at least in today's world, they'll take your license, right? So you did a lot mm -hmm. of things right, but I would have wished not for you, but the people who were over you to say, wait, what is the cause that this lady came to us happy, go lucky, hard worker, and then look what we did to her. You know, I would have liked that mm -hmm. because indeed suicide is number two cause of death for kids aged 10 through 34. Well, most residents are in that bracket. They're 10 through 34. Yeah. They're 10 through 34. So that's just, that's just, I wanted to just mention that and then let you yeah. keep going. But wow, that's amazing, amazing story. I don't think I've had anyone in all of my guests, nearly 100 people who has identified like you did the problem at, in residency. But looking back now, I can see how I was easily fried during residency as well. But go ahead. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I think is that a lot of people try to suck up and man up and they think it's just part of the deal of being um, training as a doctor. So I, I really wanted to kind of, I think as I was educated, I was like, you know, I really should get help. Um, and I wasn't scared because I wanted to be the best doctor I could be. And I didn't want anything else stopping me. So, I mean, the, I mean, I kind of came to a point where, like I, like I was saying, like I was on Lexapro and I was driving back from work and I was exhausted, kind of like you. <laughs> um, and I was like, I, I don't think I mind just like kind of running off in my car or like if I get hit right now and it's, it, I think I'll be okay. I like just kind of passing away at this point. I, I don't, I don't see the point of all of this. Um, and that's when I was, I had to stop myself and I was like, whoa, like I know it's dark, it's winter, it's tough, I'm burnt out. But like, I would never have this thought as a person before, like, that's not the mother that I know. It was like, okay, I don't know if it's the medications, I need to do something, I got to change this burnout. And I, and like you said, I was, I was really trying to, I was trying to change my lifestyle at that point. Yeah. So here's one thing. So, so I know you probably don't know this, but if you, whenever my TED talk comes out, mm -hmm. you see that I said the same thing in November of 2015. I can't forget it because it's not possible. In November, it was winter. It was still not as warm as it is now, as far mm -hmm. as global warming goes. So we were already having signs of winter. I was going at 85 to 95 miles an hour on the highway. I had no seatbelts on. I had my rooftop of my convertible down. I was looking for an opening. I was trying to go see God just like you. So I know you, know, you probably don't know that, but this is, this is what I'm saying. 
suicidal ideation. And that happened while I was on antidepressants. Yeah. So I had to stop and check, wait, wait, what's going on with this? I was getting worse on my antidepressants because what they were doing for me, at least in my case, was to me, I feel like it was just a band-aid. I needed to get to the crux of the matter, which is my thoughts and what, what caused my, you know what I mean? Like all of that mm -hmm. whole process of my amygdala going into overdrive, negative mm -hmm. thoughts telling me I'm not good enough. I'm a failure or whatever. I had to, the medicine did not do that for me. And that's why in my practice, I, you know, you can come with all the medicines you like. I'm not going to stop you, but I need to get to the root. And yeah. what the medicine did for me was it made me not feel anything. That's different from be happy. It made it numb me. And I didn't want to be numb. I needed to feel pain or feel joy or whatever, but I wasn't feeling anything. <laughs> so was that your experience any, by, the, by, um, in it, by any chance? Yeah, actually, now that you mentioned that, um, first of all, I had this was my first psychiatrist. The second one really saved my life, but he I don't think he really knew. <laughs> um, that's the other issue, I think, in like psychiatrists and psychology. You, it's like a hit or miss on like who you really get connected to. But yeah, the medications that he put me on, um, obviously, I was on a benzo initially and then Lex and like Lexapro until like that kind of kicked in. And I just, I felt nothing. I was like blah, I was flat. Um, I was kind of in a daze the entire day. I was glad that I was able to focus better and do my job better, but it was not pleasurable. It was just kind of like, okay, like I'm living and it's, it's maybe better than before where I don't have all these thoughts kind of controlling me. And yeah, I feel you. I was, I was exactly there for a little bit. <laughs> Well, it's important, you see, but it's important. Here's, here's, here's why I love this episode of Suicide Pages. I have not, in my nearly 100 guests, had anyone that said what you just said. And I know because my patients tell me all the time, I don't feel anything. There's a problem with that. By human, by, uh, human beings are supposed to feel something. So mm -hmm. while... I'm not saying if you need an antipsychotic or you need an antidepressant, don't take it. I need you to hear me when I say, not everybody's suicidal ideation is based on the kind of depressive crisis that will be fixed with medication. I'm gonna say that again for those at the back, because there'll always be those. See, in America specifically, we live in a world where every 40 minutes there is a commercial about an antidepressant. So we are programmed to see these antidepressants. But also at the end of every commercial, there's a 30 seconds of that tells you all the things that you need to know that you can't hear. I'm coming from a country and maybe your ancestors are coming from a, from a country where we don't have access to these medications, but we still have the symptoms and we still have suicide, don't get me wrong. But we have other processes in place, i.e. family support. But for me, in my own case, I'm saying, what exactly led you down that path was overwhelmness. And I made up that word. Not taking a break, being on call every three days, but also like you said, quote unquote, having to man up. Oh, you're a doctor. You must know, you must do it. You must not be allowed to be human and you know, call a timeout. No, just keep going and going and going. Only the medical profession 
does that. The hairdresser will say, you know what, I'm not coming into work today because I just don't feel good. The doctors cannot do that because what about your patients? What about your colleagues? So it's such a toxic environment. No wonder doctors have the highest rate of suicide in America. No wonder. Wow. I mean, I think, I think you hit a lot of those points that I was frustrated after I went through all this is the burnout was real. And I think to add to that, the cycle of okay, like if you take time off, then you're putting pressure on your colleagues or your seniors. And then it looks weak because you just started and you're in training. So you can't take time off because you have to make the best impression. And then the, and then the burnout also comes from an overwhelmness comes from like, just starting a new role. I mean, one of my seniors used to say like, this is just something that we start our journey in that you've never done before. <laughs> Unless you really have experience in the healthcare field and you were trained in healthcare before, like most residents, you know, are starting on this journey and training for the first time ever in their life to take care of patients. So whether that's my, whether that's internal medicine, whether that's surgery, whether that's, you know, pediatrics, it doesn't matter. We have never taken care of patients like that at that volume, at that pressure ever in our lives. And I think we never make it like a normal outlet. Like we never make it a, like we never normalize it. We, we actually think that we're a burden when we have to try to reach out for help. Um, and I'm, I'm fortunate that I was in a program that was really supportive when I started voicing these my program director was the first one I really admitted to all of these and I cried in her office and she was really supportive. She was like a mom and she was like, you know, I'm just so proud of you for identifying this. Um, but not everyone That's has that. Exactly what I said, I'm so proud of you for, you know, she, she nailed it. I'm so proud of you for not only identifying it, but also reaching out for help. One of my guests, my very, very first guest that I had on my podcast, she said that, and I use her quotes every time, it is easier for us to say yes then I need help. Mm -hmm. So yes means, are you, are you, do you need help? Yes. Versus I need help, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, but, the, but that puts the onus on me to recognize that you need help to ask you and then for you to respond. So by then, and then, you know, residents jump out of the buildings all day long in residency programs every day. And sometimes they don't even report it as a suicide. Sometimes they shroud it. Sometimes they're not even allowed to acknowledge it. You cannot not acknowledge something like that. It's like racism. If you don't acknowledge it, it's a, it's a cancer. It's going to fester. It's mm -hmm. not going to get better because we pretend it doesn't exist. It's not. And so suicide in, in residents, medical students, and doctors is at a pandemic level as mm -hmm. far as the number of us mm -hmm. and then the, what we do and this problem and whether we like to acknowledge it or not it is what it is and so acknowledging mm -hmm. it is what we're doing what you're doing I'm so proud of you I'm so proud of you I, I completely agree with what your your program director said for Thank you to step out and say I need help many of us don't I eventually got home that day that I tried to drive off the highway and told my wife, I said, no, you know what? I'm done. I told her, I didn't even say I need help. I just said, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm letting you know that I'm gonna kill myself. And then she was like, oh no, you're, oh, no, you're not, you know? And um, 
the rest is history. But wow, kudos, kudos to you. I can't even, wow, that's amazing. So, so what happened? What happened after, after you, the first, I guess the first psychiatrist, what happened and how did you <laughs> to get another one? Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I mean, it was definitely hard for me and, and like, it's great that you had your, you know, your wife, like at home. Um, I was living by myself and a lot of residents do live by themselves. So it was very hard for me to go back to the same situation. Um, but I, I think I started when I had that experience, I thought maybe it was a medications. I'm just not being treated right. So I, I, I was like, I got to get another psychiatrist. And that was also another hard step because I was like, oh, I'm in the hands of a professional, but so I should be okay. But it was my duty to kind of look at other psychiatrists. And I was like, maybe I just need to be on something different. So I, I started exercising. Um, I wanted to put myself in a better state of mind. Um, and I thought that medications, like feeling that numbness wasn't an option. I was like, I gotta, I don't want to feel this way. So I started putting healthy routines into my life. I was like, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to get a massage. It's okay to go on a walk. It's okay to sleep extra. And I made those like normal for myself. And I was like, I have to take care of myself. So I started, I started kind of making exercises a routine. I started eating healthier. Um, I started doing things that were pleasurable to me, like, you know, just painting. I love painting, um, sleeping, like taking naps when I'm off, um, talking to the people I really love part of my schedule. Like it's not an option. It's, it's part of my health. And then I started, I was like, it's still not helping me. And I reached out to an amazing, amazing psych psychiatrist. And she really, she really changed my life. She really normalized all this for me and put me on a medication that really helped me. Like it really, you know, she was really, she like empathized with me and she told me basically everything that you've told me. And she's like, a lot of residents go through this and they don't admit it. And, and she put me on Zoloft and she's like, it's going to take some time, but I'm really proud of you for kind of reaching out because everyone basically depletes their serotonin when they're going through training and, they think it's normal. <laughs> so that's kind of my story on like how I finally started getting treated. Wow. I, I want to hug you so much. You <laughs> dropping all kinds of nuggets. I'm going to go back a little bit. And I, I wrote some of a bunch of your quotes down. You said, you said, I was kind of in a daze all day. And then you didn't want to look weak because, you know, as a resident, if you, if you say, oh, I need help, that's a sign of weakness. Or really as a doctor, really, even today. And then he, you said a, a lot of residents live by themselves. Isn't that the truth? Because what, one of the symptoms of suicidal ideation or suicidal behavior is you feel trapped. So you mm -hmm. go to work, you feel trapped. You go home, you're by yourself, you feel trapped. And I did not know this, but I learned this recently, that there's something called immigrant suicide something. I don't know, I can't remember what the, the psychiatrist said. She said, apparently there's a lot of suicide. And I knew this because I'm an immigrant and I was living by myself, you know, mm -hmm. when I became a resident. And indeed I was so lonely. The loneliness I felt was so much. And I lived in Washington, DC. You know, I don't even now looking back today, October 16, 2020, I'm looking back maybe I had suicidal ideations even then. 
Mm-hmm. The amount of loneliness was so much. I would, I would one day, one day there was one day I was going to go to church. I was going to church, and I had dressed up in one of my the outfit, the Nigerian outfits that my mom gave to me was my mom's outfit, and I took it, and and I passed. I'll never forget this. I passed my 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 image. Is that my what's my image in the mirror? Is that what it is? My reflection. Mm-hmm. I passed mm-hmm. my reflection in the mirror, and I saw my mother. Because I, because I was wearing her outfit. I didn't end up going to church that day because I cried and cried and cried. I realized how much I missed home that day. Yeah. That particular day, I couldn't. So now I realize going back, that was what I was going through. And yet, you know, you're like, oh, well, I gotta, I gotta keep going. I gotta put on one weak foot in front of the other because, you know, there's no room to feel sorry for myself. And while that is good, that is also counterproductive because I didn't get a break. But I remember calling my mother. Mm-hmm. She did, like you said, the doctor did, she empathized with me, which was, which is powerful and important. But also this doctor was a female and the other one wasn't. And I'm not saying it's anything bad about that, but it's a possibility that you connected better with her. And also you had already put some processes in place before seeing this doctor, mm-hmm. you exercising. Yeah, so they seeing yeah. the people that, are, like you said in your own words, people that are, you are doing things that are pleasurable to you and you are meeting people that were, you know, you needed, you wanted to be around. So you were already making some strides and then you met this doctor and your wavelength just kind of gelled because it just happened to be at the right place at the right time in your life at that point. And then she changed your prescription, but she also saw you as a human and validated your emotions. You see that the depletion of serotonin is a physiological process, but she did something critical. She valley freaking dated you. And that's one of the things that is missing in teenagers that attempt suicide or end up killing themselves. No one in their lifetime is validating, yes, you're right, you should be stressed out. I completely see you and understand that you have every reason to be stressed out versus, I can't believe you're stressed out. How dare you tell me you're stressed out? That makes you weak. Do you think you're the only one that's stressed out? You see that? Mm -hmm. And then they go home Mm -hmm. and they jump, literally speaking, versus I see you. I hear you being stressed out. Oh my goodness. I completely know how you can come about being stressed out. That makes all the sense in the world. No, I, I was going to say, like, I think what was really interesting about her was she also herself went through um, anxiety and depression in her residency. <laughs> so Boom, when she took, exactly. When she... That was the connection. <laughs> connection, yes. Yeah. And she admitted it. But you know what? She also was vulnerable enough to admit it because many people don't admit it. Mm-hmm. They don't want to. Yeah. One of them about suicide is, you know, nobody wants to talk about suicide. But when you when you mention suicide, everybody's like, "Oh, I have, I know, me, me." But nobody wants to talk about it. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that really helped me a lot because I was I felt trapped, like you said, in reaching out for help in terms of like it wasn't normal to talk to my family because my family got <laughs> over it because your family is my family yeah your family is indian my family is nigerian that, that's you know it's like what, what do you mean you're depressed are you weak or you know something like yeah that. <laughs> and my they're like what do you yeah what is depression it's just exactly. you being tired <laughs> family, I mean, like all nigerians not not my family but all nigerians like what yep. do you mean? 
Yeah. And when we talk about other people being depressed or mental illness, they're like, yeah, they're kind of just weird. You know, they're just kind of different. And I'm like, no, that's not what it's about. Like, it's a it's a legit mental illness that, you know, and, and now looking back, I feel like my entire family, there is patterns of like mental illness and we just don't talk about it. It happens and people struggle and 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 I just I mean, I couldn't at that point tell them anything that I was going through. I just told them I was really stressed. They could see I was losing a lot of weight um, and they were, you know, they were very supportive. Obviously, my family loves me, um, but I, I also couldn't talk to them. I couldn't talk to my friends. Most of my friends, like they were not in medicine at that point, except for the ones in medicine who were going through residency. I think they were they were all busy. And just that one friend, he like he was also going through his story. So. I was like, I feel like I don't, I can't even talk to anyone who would even understand this. So like, what is the point of me sharing it with anyone? And then when I talked to this psychiatrist, like she really understood me and she was like, you know, I'm just like, we all go through this. Like a majority of like residents and physicians go through this. We just don't talk about it. We don't acknowledge it. Um, and, and she also said, you know, I'm just really proud of you. Like you're going to see like a dramatic change in your life. Um, she just spoke life into me that I I needed at that point because I didn't have anyone else around me to do that for me. You that is so powerful. I I I have two questions for you. First question is, are you still in contact with her because you need to? And second question is, I need to talk to your friend, the guy who who you had as a as a shoulder to lean on. That's a very powerful individual for for him to be struggling and still be that strong shoulder. Hopefully, you married him. I don't know, <laughs> but on the more serious note, though, that is so powerful. He might want to come on on the podcast. Is what I'm saying. I'm coming from a selfish point from that angle but also the fact that she said we all go through this it's so important we all go through this not from the sense of we all go through this so get over it but we all go through this and we should therefore talk more about it and we should therefore acknowledge it more human beings by nature will stack our thoughts and put them away in the closet until the closet gets over flow over full and then the doors burst open and then that day we just sit in the parking lot and put a gun to our head we had another doctor do that recently so that's like I don't know maybe like 19 doctors so far now since this COVID-19 started and no one wants to just say I'm here for you how can I help which is what is missing in the world today and mm -hmm. I don't know that I have the answer and I'm happy to state the problem in many ways because all of us cannot be wrong. All of us are seeing the same thing. We're all struggling. For me, it took me quitting my job to start doing this for me to realize, looking back, oh my God, yes, I could have died. And if I had died, I know my father would never have opened his mouth to admit that it was suicide. Because, you know, my daughter, no, she was strong. She was, no, she couldn't have killed herself. No. And then you'll be in denial until further notice. And then my poor children will have to deal with trying to accept that, you know, their mother killed herself and they couldn't do anything about it and then live with that. You know, it's like the pain, you know, is just passed on to them. Yeah. How are you doing these days? How are you doing these days? Um, I'm, I'm doing great. Honestly, I'm very, very blessed. Um, I think that 
first of all, I, to answer your questions from before, my um, the guy that I was talking about is one of my best friends from medical school. So I'm not married to him. I, I don't see him that way. Um, but I'm pretty sure we'll be, you know, best friends for life. Um, and he's also much better. Um, and the doctor that I was talking about, I had to switch insurances, but she she saw my progression. She saw how much I improved throughout residency. And, you know, we've I, I didn't even really have to see her that much for follow-up after that because, you know, the, the medication she put me on Zoloft was, you know, was great. She found the right dose for me. Um, she just checked in and just talking to her and her voice was just soothing to me. So I would just see her anyways. Um, and she wished me, you know, best of luck. And, and I, I just, I also kind of, I'm, I'm doing great, but I think what really, you know, bothered me was why aren't we talking about this as residents and, and in fellowship, because in fellowship, actually, during the pandemic, I went through depression again. Um, and I was actually tapering off the medication. Um, I came off because I put all these things in my life and I started meditating regularly. I started um, uh, exercising regularly and the stress of residency was kind of gone. Um, I ended up becoming a chief resident in my third year of residency, which is like two jobs in one year. Um, so, I mean, that can tell you how much I improved just from a work standpoint. And I, I, I I've obviously did a good job. I'm not trying to like self, you know, praise myself, but I, I think it's, I'm really proud of like overcoming all of those and still being successful in my career. Um, so I took that, I, one big thing I did as a, towards the end of my residency is, um, I started a wellness program for the residents um, and I started normalizing all these things, putting different things in place and reaching out to help around the hospital to create this program um, to reward residents on a monthly basis, celebrate birthdays, all these things that we don't really do or think about like normal human beings do. Um, and I think that's probably what I'm really proud of is I took yeah. my experience and kind of put it into action. You know, it's funny you said that. I tell my patients that all the time, my teenage patients. We are born to serve, that's it. That's the only thing we're put on this earth to do, to see other people as humans and serve them. And mm -hmm. what you did was put other residents before you in the sense that once you put your mind on doing something for someone else, you got better. And now mm -hmm. you say to yourself, you self-praise yourself. Absolutely. Praise yourself because no one's going to do it for you. I love that you are claiming that. It's a good thing. So why not praise yourself? That was very well done. I wish other residencies will, you know, maybe emulate that. But there's not, and I might even be calling on you soon because I'm, I'm a member of the diversity subcommittee for the University Medical Center thingy here, health systems. Mm -hmm. So I might even be calling you just to see, maybe I'll suggest to them if they don't have a program like that, but absolutely celebrating residents' birthdays, maybe their day, or maybe they take a day off, maybe you just put up their picture on the board or, you know, I don't know, whatever, acknowledging them so that they feel like they are part of a group. Humans by nature, we need each other and no better time than now because there's a pandemic when we're not allowed to hug each other. We're not allowed to be around each other. So what better time than now? And there's only so much Zoom can do, I tell you. But just those little, little things, they add up. They make you feel like you're part of the mold. And that, to me, I think that's a, that's a mic drop right there. That was a great job on that. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. 
I mean, I think I've always been a person where I want to give back. So um, I just, I'm also very thankful for my program for supporting me because not, you know, not all residency programs or fellowship programs really support trying to initiate something like that because they're like, why even like spend money and like, why waste time? But, you know, like they, they paid for, I gave out like resident of the month movie tickets for, for them. I gave out um we got like a cake every month like an ice cream cake or something for to celebrate all the birthdays that month um I arranged like resident outings where we just go and eat food and everyone just loved that you know it's not in a hospital it's low-key you're wearing normal clothes (laughs) no scrubs and um I don't know how much they carried that on after I left but I was just glad to be um make a little bit of a change in their life and relieve a little bit of stress while I was kind of a chief resident and you know how like using my power for uh to better in their lives as they go through residence yeah congratulations and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure people have said that to you before but I'm saying for me on behalf of someone who was a resident who struggled to doing residency at first being a brand new I came to America for residency like literally I got into Howard I got an interview to Howard from my father's house in Nigeria. I got the visa because I was coming for residency. Mm-hmm. I'm saying to you, I know what it's like to come and be the only one that you know in the mm-hmm. whole country of 300 million people. That I don't take that lightly. I, I was the only one that I knew. I mean, I had cousins or you know random classmates here and there, but it wasn't the same. Yeah, I was literally the only one. It's not like my parents live in Kentucky and I can just go home, you know, Minnesota and I can just, no, uh-uh. So I, I appreciate that on behalf of the hearts that you touched. And something tells me that they probably continued that, but I don't know, I don't know. Because it sounds like a good thing. And who doesn't want to do a good thing? Who yeah. just, you know, carry on a good thing? But I don't know. Yeah, I I think they did. I stayed in touch with people. Um, They they changed things around based on what kind of worked for them. Um, But yeah, I I actually continued that in fellowship. I I went through burnout again. Um, And I think it's like statistics show that higher rates in the winter. Um, And also just it was another change in my career. It was overwhelming. Um, and I, I was okay. I think I kind of adjusted my medications. It wasn't as dramatic, um, as before. Um, but I, I had reached out to my leadership and fellowship and I said, like, I'm not sure why we're doing all these things that are inefficient in our schedule. And at that point I had a little bit more leadership skills to have the guts to even kind of go to my program director and be like, listen, like, these are all inefficient. These don't make sense. Like, we need to be doing things faster. Like we should address these issues earlier in the day because the burnout is not coming from me being inefficient. It's because we spend a lot of time in on the EMR on like talking to people at the wrong time of the day and things like that. So I think we need to kind of all work together to not make our days long for inefficiency reasons. And um, after that, she, you know, she really thanked me and she had like a meeting with everyone, um, the faculty and the um, fellows. Um, but also I, she reached out to me about this program called um, 
uh, Smart R, and it's created actually, it's an evidence-based um, program. It's called um, Stress Management uh, and Resiliency for Residents um, in Training. So it's not just residents, it's anybody in training. And I got trained in that. And then I actually trained my first year fellows who were coming on to, uh, to go through this course, this like three hour, four hour course. Please, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to say that again slowly because I know for a fact that there, my, uh, my main listeners are aged 25 through 45. And I'm sure there's some residents in there, but also because I'm a, I'm a member of a, a huge African-American Facebook group, about 17,000 plus humans who a bunch of them, a majority of them are residents. So this particular program, I mean, this particular episode of my podcast, I'm going to dedicate to them when it gets published, which I don't know when, but I'm definitely going to need you to say that again. So it's called SMART, R-S-M-A-R-T, then R. Yes. Yep. It's Smart R. Um, it was initially developed by um, Brigham and Young. Like they, they actually got together a group of people and they tested it and tried it. And it's an evidence-based approach. Um, the, the, the idea is more about mindfulness and it's targeting, it's stress management and resiliency training program. Um, Fantastic. Okay. Stress management and residency training program. What's the R for residents? Yeah, it's, ah. it was, it was initially geared towards um, residency, but I, it's, it's for any training um, physicians, basically. Wow. And it's a four hour online. No, it's actually all in person. Ah. Um, I had to get trained. Like I was me and my, um, uh, one of my programs attendings, we both attended the course together to get trained initially. Um, and it's about, they say it's about six hours, um, but it's, it's a group based like curriculum that they designed. It's in person. And the idea is to really give tips and tangible exercises and tangible um, um like work through problems um, that's based on mindfulness for all residents and fellows. Um, and we got trained a whole day. I mean, we kind of sat around in a circle. They walked, we, we did the exercises ourselves and the instructor kind of taught us how to be an instructor. And then I, you can either do it in a one day or you can break it up into three different sessions. And we broke it up into three different sessions and we integrated it into our fellowship program it was part of one of the lectures basically because we had lecture series and this was kind of part of it and I and and the idea is to not have the instructor be like a boss of the fellows like so I was a peer of them because I was a second year and I was doing it for the first years um so that dynamic you know is important how do you deal with stresses in training program it goes through like every single area of your life like what's important to you what what's your how do you, how does your energy get empowered? How does your energy get drained? Um, looking at what's important to you and your relationships and things like that. And it's, it's, it's really great. It's, it's, I mean, it's an evidence-based program, but um, I just, I was really just excited to do it and um, train other people in it. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I've never, I've never heard about it. Of course I've been out of residency for 
a minute and a half, but still, wow, we are in the last few minutes, believe it or not. So for the next few minutes, I want you to just tell the listeners, first of all, where they can find you and your fabulous self. Okay. <laughs> and then, yes, I think you are. I think you are. I'm going to use my I came up with this mnemonic called VFAB, which is for very mm -hmm. fabulous, right? However, V stands for vulnerable. I love that. F is for fearless, A is for authentic, and B is for bold. So you are VFAB, girl. You win the VFAB for the day, and I love that. So you are very fabulous, but aside from that, do you tell the listeners where they can find you, how they can reach you, and for the residents who are listening, can you tell them maybe a word of advice, going away, um, just a word of encouragement or something? Sure, sure. Um, well, I am <clears throat> on Facebook, so you can search my name up. Um, and I'm also on Instagram. It's Madhuri99. So I'm always posting things that are encouraging and kind of also just, um, you know, kind of just uplifting in life. I, I don't participate in things that are opinionated I just really want all humans to be but their best self for media um the advice is for them to be their best selves yes yeah I think I think my advice would be um it's okay to be who you are it's okay to feel what you're feeling it's okay to be mad sad burnt out pissed off annoyed um just recognize those things first and and treat yourself and take care of yourself it's okay to take care of yourself and that's probably my biggest advice it's okay to prioritize <clears throat> yourself and prioritize your health it's it's normal <laughs> well i thank you for that i think it's, it's I, mean, I think you could you could probably say that 200,000 times and those who are going to hear it are going to hear it and those who are not going to hear it are not going to hear it but mm -hmm. Thank you for at least saying it. I mean, that's a start. So, and then you said they can reach you at, I want you to spell your name if you don't mind, just because yeah. it's very fast and. Um, sure, it's um, M-A-D as in David, H-U-R-I, 99. So that's my Instagram account. Um, and then it's my first name dot last name at Gmail for my um, email address. And then you can also you know, just search me up. Like, I think I'm the only Tiramandis on <laughs> Facebook, probably. So it's um, T-I-R-U-M-A-N-D-A-S is my last name. Um, so you can definitely search me up by my last name, probably. Madhuri Tiramandis. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm one of those people that have a unique name, but even my name, I think there are like nine of us so far on Facebook and maybe more on Twitter. So my name is unique, but... I'm not the only one with that, but I think your name definitely gets it. Now in certain circles, I am the only one. Like, I think I went to the doctor's office yesterday for an x-ray and I was like, ma'am, I am the only one with that name, like literally in San Antonio. So go ahead and, and just take your time. And use there's <laughs> a patient here, you know, something like that, that combination. But wow, it's been amazing, simply amazing just you know, hanging out with you this morning. Thank you so much for gracing our pages. It's been very humbling listening to another young kitten just saying, you know, just speaking from the heart and just allowing herself to be, to go there, 
something that we don't do too often. We don't want to talk about being weak or not knowing everything or not being enough, you know. But thank you so much for embracing your true authentic self and shining and thank you for staying because again talking about suicide is one of the things I say it's about living it's about life it's about choosing to stay and because I chose to stay I know I know that it, it was a very intentional decision you, you can't when you're at that point that impulse you just want to just jump or just drive off the road and so thank you for not doing that so ladies and gentlemen it's been real. This is Dr. Lulu, a.k.a. the momatrician turn life coach. Now, don't forget that. I will help you get unstuck and together we'll find, we'll find that hero or shiro that lives inside of you. So don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends about it. If the message resonates with you, holla at your girl, Dr. Maduri. Holla at me, Dr. Lulu. Find me on calendly.com forward slash Dr. Lulu. And I'll see you next time. Deuces. Peace out. Hey, are you stuck in indecision? Is there something you've been wanting to do, but are having a hard time deciding how to go about it? Maybe you wanted to write a book. You're having issues with your relationship, your kids money. Maybe you want to quit your job, but you don't know how to go about it. Hmm. You might need a life coach. Believe it or not, I just launched my life coaching business this year and I'm open to accept clients and we're having free consults. So go to calendly.com forward slash Dr. Lulu. That's calendly.com forward slash Dr. Lulu and grab yourself a free 45-minute session, and I'll see you on the inside.